You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin. Hey, hey. Uh, <laughs> 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 Where were we doing that? Thank you. You pointed um, at me. I wouldn't even think No, no, no. It was great. That was weird. That yeah. was weird. Um, and, uh, well, <laughs> you're not JT. But we got, we got Jen Wilkin here. Hey. And JT. Hey. And we also are joined by Dr. Jonathan Pennington. Hey. Hello. Glad that you're here. <laughs> Dr. Pennington is an author, pastor, preacher, professor, teacher. He's been in this weekend here at the Village Church uh, teaching in the Village Church Institute training program. And we hope you enjoy the discussion on this podcast. Here we are, and we are joined by Dr. Jonathan Pennington. Thank you for coming on the show. We're glad to have you here. Hey, I am absolutely thrilled. That's excellent. So uh, you are just wrapping up sabbatical. You've just wrapped it up. That's right. Okay. And you were telling me before we jumped on mic that you read a bunch of fiction on sabbatical. Yep. Okay, tell me what you were reading, because I'm reading a bunch of fiction right now. Too. Yeah, well, I always do. I often okay. joke that I actually just am a professor to support my fiction reading habit, <laughs> right? Um, because I'm, and I mostly listen okay. uh, to books, yeah. because okay. that way I can just constantly listen to them when I'm sometimes walking, driving, yeah. doing dishes, laundry, uh-huh. whatever. Um, so I, I listen voraciously to all kinds of things. Okay. I've got some favorite authors like Ursula Le Guin and okay. others, but I just, I just read, uh, Willa Cather, if you know her, she was a famous 19th, okay. early 20th century, her book, uh, called death comes for the archbishop. That was okay. particularly good. I also read the entire David Foster Wallace reader, oh, which is both fiction yeah. and nonfiction. Have yeah. you guys read any Wallace? Oh my gosh. Everything, everything but infinite jest. Well, Infinite Jet, I oh. didn't get all the way through that truth. No. Be told, but all his essays, everything, it was fascinating. Is there an essay that stands out to you for him? Yeah, for- the one about the Illinois State Fair. Yes. I'm from Illinois. That was okay. good. And yeah, then yeah. Uh, the one about television is a long essay okay. about television and its effect on people. Yeah. So. He wrote an essay on... Um, I think it's called... It's a collect- They've named a collection of essays this as well, but both Flesh and Not... Okay. Where he talks about tennis pros. Oh yeah, that's it, that's right. That was the oh, other one. Yep. Man, it's incredible. I like it was so. Well, listen, Agassi, he wrote that whole yes, thing on Agassi. Right? I've never watched tennis in my life, but after I read the essay, I got like on a bender with watching professional <laughs> totally. tennis. You hey, got to go get yeah, a cup of coffee or something. I, I, yeah, I think we should just go get some coffee. You guys can do a little <laughs> podcast. And... You, you don't, uh, JT. You don't like sports that actually have finesse to them, right? You know, <laughs> is that what it is? Well, he's so ham fisted uh, in the rest of his life. He likes right. a sport that's very literal. Exactly. But, just, I was going to say, I haven't read any David Foster Wallace because I've been watching football. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, and, and I didn't know what big game was on today. JT had to tell me. He was talking with somebody else. He was like, is there a big game? And they were like, yeah, with Matt. I was like, who do you have today? And, and Kyle was like, is this the sports ball? <laughs> Don't even. <laughs> yeah. You said Ursula Le Guin. Are you into science fiction, too? I am. I mean, okay. good science fiction. Sure. Not all science fiction is created equal. But, I'm, uh, reading, yeah. I'm reading this collection of short stories by a guy named Ted Chen. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. It's called Exhalation. Yeah, absolutely. You've yeah. read this? No, I just read okay. the one. Be- no, I've never heard of that. Okay. <laughs> No, no, I can't no, score on this one. I actually kind of like sci-fi. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but you old school. I like old school stuff. Like Orson. Okay, well, Ted Chiang okay. is amazing. I read the earlier collection. Okay. And that the story in there called The Story of Your Life yes. was the basis for the movie Arrival, yes. which is one of my all-time favorite movies. Have you oh guys seen gosh. that? How, how have we not talked about this? I do not know. Are you that's guys a, still that's with a us? fantastic movie. He's and amazing. Got, <laughs> and it got so... Hey, don't do not do this. Don't. Listen, I got I every day I, I got to hear about... I twice at Brad like several times and he did not get the signal. Okay, we'll start are talking you, about CrossFit. Are you guys um, still there? Anybody? Throwing away... <laughs> 
Okay, listen, if you have not read Ted Chiang... Oh, he's amazing. He's incredible. Yeah. Okay, so that's Dr. Pennington and Kyle Worley co-signing an endorsement. Ted Chiang, if you listen to this podcast... We no love worries. to have you yeah, on the show. We love you. We're hanging in there for you. We'd love to have you. No, we're, we're glad no. to have Dr. P- Go ahead, please. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. You're, I want, no, well, I want you what, to tell me. What is amazing about him and Le Guin is the same way, and you should care about this, and you should I'm going to try. Is that <laughs> they think a lot about the power of language yeah. in shaping our thinking and culture. Yeah. And so both Le Guin and Chang are constantly thinking about how we say things and the way we structure our society and how language is connected to that. That's why that movie Arrival. Yeah. Did you ever see that? Yeah. So it was about language. The, it was. It's yeah. about how language. <laughs> and I was into it. Yeah. No, I was. In, it was Amy, Amy Adams. Adams. Yeah. yeah I and, saw uh, that one. Forrest Whitaker's in it too, right? Uh, uh, Car- the guy maybe? who's Blackhawk as well. Oh, from, yeah, yeah. Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I do like him And so if Amy Adams yeah. is listening, I have to admit I have a big crush on her. <laughs> She I'm reminds me of my childhood crush, okay. Elizabeth Montgomery from okay. Bewitched. I thought you were going to say an actual person's name, <laughs> and that person would be listening going, oh, I never really even knew that he... Elizabeth Montgomery is an actual person? No, I know who oh, she okay. is. <laughs> <laughs> like a person you might She's actually... no longer living. What is Bewitched? <laughs> oh, you... man. It was a is great show out there? from the 60s. Are you guys still there? <laughs> Okay, forget it. Uh, are we even recording? We are. Okay. All of this has been hot. Okay. Um, uh, no, we, we are. Although I could talk to you about hot science fiction for the memes. rest of the time that we have together. Dr. Pennington is a professor, an author, pastor, preacher. He's written a number of books. He is a friend to the TVC Institute. Yeah, big friend. Big, big friend. friend. And you've been in town this week in teaching. No, it's been my favorite time of the year it's the most wonderful time of the year that's awesome i mean in all seriousness so even when we started the training program one of the hopes was bringing in outside speakers uh experts in their field but are, who are also churchmen or church women people who who want to to do theology or new testament old testament studies at the highest level in the academy but can also translate to the life of the local church mm-hmm. and we didn't know how it was going to work five years ago uh but we brought you back five times so it's worked pretty well and you know this our students have just really gravitated oh, yeah towards you. And I've also seen you, uh, I've known you now for seven, eight years or so. Uh, you've always been a wonderful teacher and a good friend, but even as you've been preaching more at your church, mm-hmm. just seeing God use that to shape you mm-hmm. into a, just a, a beautiful person, into a theologian, into a real, you're a real person. What, you. you know what I mean by that? Yeah. Like you're, you're dealing with substantive issues, but you're also living uh, in the broken world that we're all living mm-hmm. in, and you're able to speak into both of those worlds. Yeah. I'm so grateful for that. Well, it's the you know, teaching works because of hungry people. Mm-hmm. You know, I could be up there doing my shtick, and if people weren't hungry, it wouldn't be the same. It's an interaction. And so you guys have created something so beautiful here of hungry people who are uh, seeking the Lord and trying to figure out their lives. And so it's a delight to come in. Yeah. It's been fun. Be part of that. So you've been in town this weekend speaking about the Gospel of Matthew. And would you say that has been where your focus has been the last number of years, it sounds like? Yeah, so I had the great privilege of doing a PhD in Matthew, and right. it hasn't stopped since. And right. I always, when I think about Matthew, I always think what he says in an esoteric way in chapter 13 that um, the scribe trained for the kingdom of heaven continues to bring out of his treasure house things old and new. Mm-hmm. And so we've been studying this book of Matthew for 2,000 years. And there's still, and I've been studying it for about 20 years, and every time I read it, I see things I didn't see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And especially every time I preach from it. Yeah. One of the things that I've been amazed, even though I write articles, write books, 
teach. It's when I go to preach a passage hmm. that I come to understand it, I think, in its fullest way. Why do you think that is? Because um, I, w- I wanted to ask you about the pro- you, the process of rediscovery. So somebody's maybe yeah. listening to this. They're like, okay, I'm on my Bible reading plan, and I've done it faithfully the last 20 years. And I'm coming up on a book of the Bible I've read 20 times, 30 times, 40 times. What is some of that process of rediscovery for mm-hmm. you as you just walk the same paths over and over again? How like Where does that come from? Does it never feel like it's just old hat like well of course you know this is what he's doing here in the greek and this is matthew this is a typical matthew move that he's making right, right here like what does rediscovery look quoting like quoting somebody no no okay, no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no but 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 what is uh but what does yeah. it look like what does rediscovery look like yeah, for somebody yeah. who's spending lots of time in one book of the bible yeah i i think um it is a it is a literary and theological masterpiece mm. i mean the reason we're still reading it 2000 years later is obviously it's in the bible and we believe it's inspired but it is a masterpiece. The reason it's still mm-hmm. worth reading over and over, and, and a great piece of literature is one that you reread, yeah. not just the one that you read once, mm-hmm. right? And the more, you know, it's just so structured. And I always remind students that by the time Matthew's written this thing down, he's been pondering and praying and preaching and teaching and rearranging and editing for like 30 years, probably. Mm-hmm. By the time he's, this is his magnum opus. This is his great piece. And just yeah. like we would read, um, you know, Brothers Karamazov or something over and over, and you'll see things in it even more. This is a masterpiece, so mm-hmm. you never get tired of it. But I think the other thing, and this is one of the things I so appreciate about all you guys, I'm thinking of Jen and how much I enjoy her books too and her experience as a teacher. I think you'd probably affirm this, that when you go to teach, you go from passive learning to active learning. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I think is amazing when I'm teaching and preaching for Matthew. That's when I come to understand it more. Mm-hmm. And I think you guys build things into the institute that where they're rehearsing things and say, yeah. yeah. Right. And that's, I think, so I think a big part of the reason why it never gets boring is because I'm an active reader of it, yeah. not a passive reader. So one of the things I'd love for you to talk to us about, and you do this when you come teaching the training program is I would imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, most people, when they come to the gospel of Matthew, let's say they're in a, in a Bible reading plan or they're just saying, I want to pick up my new Testament and read. The literary category that they're likely operating from just as an assumption and instinct is the category of I'm reading history. Mm. And there's truth to that, right? Like yeah. I'm reading words that have been written down to tell me about events that happened in the past. Yep. And that is true. But it's so much more than that. Mm-hmm. What are some other lenses that somebody could have on when they open the Gospel of Matthew? Yeah. Well, it's always good to remember that history itself always has a purpose. Like that is history being written, history as writing, Mm -hmm. because when you write history, you're making all kinds of decisions about what's important Mm -hmm. and what's not important, cause and effect between things. And you always have some goal, whether Mm -hmm. you're writing biography or there's, there's no such thing as brute facts. And even if, even if you just like listed, you know, all the events that happened in the 14th century or something that would still involve all kinds of selection and deselection, what you highlight. But as soon as you start to write a history, you're making an argument about something. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. And so even just as an historical document, Matthew is trying to teach us something. So I usually describe the Gospels with three adjectives, historical, but also theological, that they're teaching theology as robustly and in some ways even more robustly than any part of the Bible, because narrative teaches us in a very enfleshed and emotionally engaging and paradoxical way Mm. that just straight up like Proverbs or something doesn't have the ability to deal with paradox and and, uh, the complexity and and engage our whole being. So I think the Gospels as narratives are teaching theology. So he's trying to get us to come to theological conclusions as whole people as a result of reading. For sure. Not just say, oh, that happened once. 
Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the whole reason the Bible is written is to reshape our loves and our sensibilities and our thinking and our desires and our habits. And that's what theology is for. Theology is to shape us to be wise people mm-hmm. according to the truth of who God is and his coming kingdom. And so one of the things I'm afraid we often do in our tradition is we think the gospels, because we care about history, we think of the gospels as the historical thing. And then we think of the epistles as where we get the theology, mm-hmm. right? But the reality is the gospels are teaching theology just as much uh, as the epistles are. And we need them both, right? And then the third adjective is virtue forming, basically, or eritological or eritogenic. So virtue forming, they're, they're seeking to shape us to be a certain kind of people. And so those, I think when you think the historical, theological, and shaping, those those are what the Gospels exist for, and Matthew is particularly good at it, I think. So. Well, I, one of the things that I, I, can, I can remember sitting in my undergraduate program, and a professor told us, he, he said, well, you know, and he said it very, like, matter-of-factly. And it was obvious after he said it, but I had never considered it before. Um, I'm on the edge of my seat. Okay. What is it? <laughs> well, um, he said, um, he said, well, of course, you know, that the Gospels, this wasn't like the, these were the o- this was the only thing happening in the world at the time. There were ideas being exchanged all throughout the world, and there had been a long history of these ideas, and Jesus was probably colloquially familiar with many of these ideas and great thinkers from the past. And it was like a eureka moment mm-hmm. because I find, and I found in my own life, that whenever I would come to the Gospels, it's like I would partition the rest of the world and history and civilization. And you're like, okay, well, at this moment in history, this was the only thing happening. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, that's not true. And you have done some work in helping just try to explore, <laughs> right? <laughs> what's, funny, what's funny is like I totally get what you're saying. Yes. I resonate with it. But I remember you saying something once to the, in the training program. You were like, I hate it when people say Bible times. Remember this? Yes. <laughs> because you were like, there's no such thing as Bible times. Well, I was there's preaching, against, the, I was yeah. preaching yeah. against an earlier version of myself. <laughs> I know you were. Although that is a bad phrase, Bible times. It right? is, yeah, right? You were like, preaching right. against <laughs> baby Captain Baptist. Yeah, baby. baby but there's Captain. a sense in which a lot of us operate as if there is biblical history yep. that happened in like its own little bubble. Uh-huh. And then the rest of the world. Like I was blown away the first time somebody told me, oh, yeah, well, you know, the philosopher Plato lived before Jesus showed up. And I thought, no, no, no way. No way he did. Well, or if he did, well, Jesus was certainly untainted by anything that of Plato Of course. He, he, yeah. he couldn't have considered any of these things. But uh, when I read Sermon on the Mountain, Human Flourishing, and then you have another work that you're, you've been nursing, I think, mm-hmm. that kind of probably explores a little bit of this as well. But uh, when I read Sermon on the Mountain, Human Flourishing, you were... <laughs> You were working hard to help me understand that there was this realm of ideas that Jesus is, I don't know if, is it too much to say, self-consciously appropriating in the Sermon on the Mount? Um, Deliberately, not self-consciously, right? Well, maybe not. I mean, by self-consciously, I mean, he's aware that he is entering into a a kind of- A broader conversation. A broader conversation. Right, right. Is that true? I think so. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, the truth is always a knife edge. You could fall off one side or the other. You could just read the Gospels in light of- Greco-Roman context or philosophy or Bible times and and think of it as like um, that, oh, that's all it is. Jesus is just another guy like all these other people. And some people would read him that way. But I think our tendency is probably to fall off the other side and think again that it's like in this hermetically sealed Mm -hmm. astronaut ice cream kind of bag that is separate from everything else, right? Right. But the reality is that the Bible is a real book written in real history to real people, right? right? And and even culture, this idea of culture is kind of a weird thing because – what is a culture? A culture is just 
people who have certain sensibilities and feelings and ideas and conversations and words and, and associations with words. Like when they hear a certain word, they think of certain things. And that's helpful to think about when we think about the Bible, because it is in, it's a real document written in Greek um, to real people. And when they hear words that Matthew writes or John writes or Paul writes, they're going to have a bunch of associations with what those words mean. Right. And the biblical authors are are often going to try to kind of uh, modify what yep. they think about that because it's trying to teach us to think about the world in a different way right. than we might naturally think. But you can't do that without doing it from within a culture and a language that is shared. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So then what I've been working on is this idea of, okay, well, if you think about what kind of stuff did people talk about – um, in the ancient world, especially other teachers, which is how Jesus is presented, then you see that wow, the stuff, the topics he's talking about, and even some of the words he's talking, he's using, mm-hmm. have a rich heritage. Yeah. They're tapping into a discussion that's already going on. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up his anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of his immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your copy today. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your your copy today. Yeah, so I mean, for for example, and we talked about this when we had John last time on the Sermon on the Mount, but the idea of blessed and the yep. word that's used for for blessed, right? Right. right? It's a good example. Um, yep. That up up until somebody pointed out to me that somebody was you. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Who name was. Uh, uh, I really thought, like, when I thought bless or blessing, yeah. I thought, okay, these are the things that you do. Uh, and if, I, if you do those things, that God, you, that, like, blesses you. If but, then, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. if then. It was like, a, right, okay, right. hey, if you're meek, guess what? God's going to bless you. If you are, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, God's going to bless mm-hmm. you. Um, and yet... You helped point out that there's a recovery, that that language had more, there was more to it mm-hmm. than just 
the reading I was giving it and the, the gloss that I had heard in preaching and that that was situated within a particular way of mm-hmm. viewing the good life and flourishing right, right, and alignment. Right. And I feel that many times when people are thinking about reading the Bible and they're thinking about reading it seriously, they're incredibly fearful to bring in mm-hmm. that wider scope of history because they're so afraid that it will taint the well, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Do you encounter that with students that you teach? Uh, yeah, probably so. I think I win them over right? okay. when you uh, <laughs> show these things. But again, because the truth is the a knife edge between those, it's not that you're – we're saying that, again, if you just sort of uh, – if you just know all this magic background information, right. all of a sudden the Bible means something different or, you know, and, and mm-hmm. unfortunately some teachers, that's Teach how they that make way. their yeah. living and yeah. that's how they get their, their pats on the back is yeah. that, you know, if, if you leave a sermon and your main takeaway is, wow, that pastor, that teacher knows so much about the Bible. I wish I could know all that because mm-hmm. then I could read the Bible then you're not a good teacher. Well, and that's one <laughs> right. of the things that honestly, to just pick up on that and connect it back to the work we're trying to do here. Mm-hmm. Jen and I talk about this all the time is that one of the roles of doing theological education or just Christian education in the life of the local church isn't to create an expert amateur mm-hmm. divide, but to eliminate it. Mm-hmm. To certainly let there be experts who are growing. But well, me, all, I mean, you still need me as an expert. We need you right, to come. Right. <laughs> but, like the, but the goal of you coming as an expert isn't to make people stay amateurs. Yeah. And that's what some people right, do. Right, right, right. You want to yeah, yeah. give people tools, yeah. not not just yep. knowledge. Yeah, people yeah. sometimes experts enjoy the gap yes, between they, themselves. Oh, sure. They thrive yeah. teaching, yeah, yeah. and it gives them credibility. Yeah. It gives them, yeah, you yeah. know, it gives them a job in some yeah, cases. Yeah, absolutely. But right. the reality is, is, our responsibility isn't to uh, make greater that gap, but to eventually eliminate it. Not because we don't want experts, but because we want everybody who. Being immature is okay. Yeah, you just can't stay there. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the role of a good teacher is to invite people deeper and deeper into discipleship. Maybe to use a Roman Catholic papal analogy: first among equals, right, or something. Sure. Yeah. Right. That the, the, the teacher is the one who's equal with everyone else, but they are, you know, leading. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and because they're a few steps ahead or something. Yeah. Right? That's right. Yeah. Well, I think it's the whole body parts analogy too. Like mm-hmm. there are certain you're an, you're a for all intents and purposes an expert in the Book of Matthew, and I want you to be. Because I'm not going to right, be, right. but but you can pull me along, or you can keep me at arm's length That's and right. show me your expertise. Yeah. And good. I'm curious because, first of all, I'm wondering how did you end up choosing Matthew? Because hmm. I mean, you can't, right. you, know, you can't be a polygamist with who you're going to marry when it comes That's to a great, looking great analogy. at. Uh, well, I mean, you, I mean, <laughs> I heard someone say recently, like you could you could probably give yourself to one book of the Bible across right. a lifetime right, and it would right, really right. count. Yeah. You chose Matthew. Yeah. I'm leaning toward Genesis, and there's reasons that I ended up there. Some of it's because, well, I've taught that one the most. I might as well just dig in and keep going (laughs) because at this point I'm 50 and my options are narrowing. But in your case, how did you end up in Matthew? Yeah, it's a totally happy Where'd you meet? How'd you start dating? (laughs) (laughs) It is a total – it was a blind date. It was a blind date. (laughs) You swiped left on Job and swiped right on Matthew. Is that what I say? Wait, wait, wait. wait, That is not Instagram. Whoa. Hold on. What app is it? Yeah. I'm Let's trying, look at that phone. Jay, I'm trying to learn. Hang on. Jay, hang, on, hang, on, hang, on hang on. Hang on. What app is that? It's one of those bad dating apps. I wouldn't. 
I'm not even sure. I thought yeah. it was Instagram. Tell mm. us about it, Jen. Dr. Pennington just got out of there on Instagram. He's trying to figure okay. out how to post stories. I'm trying to learn Instagram, and you have a picture to prove it. He was, here's right. how bad it was. He was asking me to help him. Uh, and oh I'm boy. like, if Macy English if Macy hears knows. you asking me for advice on Instagram. But Jeff helped me more. I'm like, yeah, I don't know, yeah. man. Post pictures of your pets and run away. I don't I know. I'll never forget one time Kyle was teaching oh, in the gosh. training room. I think I've shared this in here before. But I think you have bears, many times. It bears repeating. <laughs> What is the app called again? I really don't remember. It's called Tinder. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the swipe left and right, isn't it? Yeah, you you just, knew. You just set him up. Oh you my knew. Gosh. I did. But here's what happened in the, in the training program. You were using an example about swipe right. Pretty swipe much left. exactly what Jane just did. <laughs> right. <laughs> but Kyle realized, wait, people are going to think that right. I use this app because I know so much I about was like, it. I had read an so article saying, saying like, I didn't, I, I've never, I've never, you know, and, and he's, he just kept talking about <laughs> the, it more and more. Yeah, but the more I talked about and saying in denial, the more right, the right. crowd looked at me like, like you've totally used this app before. One of my other favorite Kyle stories. Don't. <laughs> we could do this for a while. We could. Um, he, he wanted to pull up our app that we use on Canvas. <laughs> Remember that? Yes. He yes. wanted to pull it up because we were showing people like, here's how you can submit assignments, here's how you... And he had an app that was like a... Like a it was like, all the maps of Middle Earth. Of Middle Earth. Like, he could just pull up the men, like, and somebody was like, is that a map of Middle Earth? <laughs> it's an incredible app if you're a big Lord of the Rings fan. <laughs> Uh, yeah. All right, but I want to hear about the romance. Tell, <laughs> me, how, awesome. tell me how you and Matthew got yeah, together. It was, yeah, thanks. That's a great <laughs> sentence. Let's try that um, again. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> DMI. Um, so actually, I thought I was going to study Paul. So I was a seminary student at Trinity, and I was very interested in Second Corinthians. I almost was a Second Corinthians scholar. Okay. And I had this idea of a thing to do in Second Corinthians on boldness of speech, et cetera. But I was teaching Greek at Trinity in my last couple of years there, and I just randomly ran across uh, the fact that the Greek word for heaven, Uranus, which becomes the planet Uranus, which is not comfortable to say, sorry, mm. and that it's that word um, occurs mostly in singular form throughout the whole Bible, except for in the Gospel of Matthew. It was, mm. and it was almost always plural in Matthew. And I thought, what in the world is going on with that? So that one thing led to another. I started doing some research. I ended up doing an independent study with Don Carson, and at the end of which I got an A minus, which is good for him, I guess, and uh, good for me from him. I mean, and uh, and he said, "Good for this level." That's his classic uh, comment that I got. And uh, so, speaking of expert amateur divide, right? yeah, yeah. Let's strike all that from the record. Um, anyways, no, he was he was hugely influential because he really encouraged me and said, "You you know you you should go on for a PhD." And, and in fact, this topic that you're starting to approach, there might be something to this. Hmm. So it was a total accident, and it all was based on just sort of a tiny observation about the word heaven. And so I ended up writing a, a research proposal to go to Scotland to study with this scholar, Richard Bauckham. And, I, and even there, after I got going, it wasn't even so much about Matthew. It was just about what heaven meant in the Bible kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But as things went on and I kept researching, I just began to fall in love with Matthew. And in some ways, I didn't even – I don't even feel like I – 
understood what Matthew was about until I had been teaching as a professor for several years. Because that's when you learn. You, right. know, you, you learn by right. teaching. And, and so, then you think of all the things you thought or said before, and oh you're like, my goodness. oh, Can no. I just make an official apology to all the students at Southern from 2005 to 2007 <laughs> when I had no idea what I was talking about? Um, so anyways, it's I started teaching Matthew mm. at, in English and in Greek in various classes in 2005. And then just over the years, I just kept falling more and more in love with it and just started to see more and more things. And, mm. and then the sermon them out was kind of a sidestep mm-hmm. within Matthew. The same thing happened. And yeah. then 10 years later, I was like deep into it. I wrote this book. And so it's, I, I mean, honestly, I look back and I just think, thank you, God. I mean, I'm so, so thankful that he led me to study Matthew because I am literally the son of an English professor. I mean, mm-hmm. my, my dad was a literary person and I would have, I didn't even know how much I love stories and until I was already done with my PhD and then, and then I found myself in this world of the part of the Bible that was heavy story oriented. I was like, thank you, God. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't mm-hmm. have planned this out. Mm-hmm. And now I get to study the Bible as a beautiful literary story and help people understand what it means. I'm just so thankful. So yeah. so one thing that I'd love to talk to you about for a few minutes is what you taught on this weekend for us okay. in the training program. Just so our listeners can hear and get a sense for like, here's what we do when we when we have a seminar. So like, I would imagine that if you're not a Matthew scholar, sometimes the Gospels can run together mm-hmm. in your mind because they're saying so much of the like you just I know that these are the stories about the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. If somebody's trying to get uh, handles, so to speak, on Matthew, what you helped us this weekend is to understand the structure of what one of the ways or one of the things Matthew is trying to communicate is Jesus as a disciple maker through the lenses of these discourses. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about it. Yeah, yeah. So as I was saying before, the Gospels are meant to shape us, to reshape us, to be a certain kind of people. And I like to sum it up as to see the world in a certain way and to learn from that to be in the world in a certain way according to who God is and his coming kingdom. So um, Matthew does that in an amazing way. He actually is the – he's often known as the teaching gospel because he's got the most teaching material of any of the gospels. And it's concentrated into these five blocks of teaching we call the five major discourses. Mm-hmm. And the first one's real famous. It's the Sermon on the Mount. But it turns out that's not the only of these collections of teachings. There's one in chapter 10, chapter 13, chapter 18, and chapters 23 to 25. And those five major discourses are like pineapple chunks in the jello mold of of Matthew's offering at the church potluck. How's that for a pineapple wow. chunks a in the jello mold of the church? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so my work is done here. Thank so you. what you're so what you're saying <laughs> is just to see if I can hear you right. Simile, I guess. <laughs> That's right. You're saying if I want one of the ways to understand how Matthew is structuring his theological claims about mm-hmm, Jesus, mm-hmm. his teaching is to yep. say that Jesus is a model disciple maker, and we can look to him as somebody who's making disciples. Yeah, and what he the exercise you had our students do is you said if yeah, you yeah. were discipling somebody what's the five, five things you tell them yeah, yeah. and it was like trinity and you gave me a Prayer. hard time for that but right. john wouldn't because john- <laughs> no i'm all for it john webster <laughs> no john uh, the gospel yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think some people said i mean they just said a number of different things so like if you're listening if you were discipling somebody what would be the five like essentials? yeah it's a fun question to ask yourself and there's you a think? lot of good things because you, you can learn about, even learn about yeah. yourself of like what yeah, your yeah, instincts right. are and in matthew's giving us these five teachings of Jesus to say these these are the things that Jesus was teaching yeah, yeah. his disciples. Right, right. So you and they're us, not everything. No, right? no, 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 They're not everything. And, and we teaches. know that the Bible right. says, and Jesus said, and did many more things right. that can be contained in these books. But what, give us the five. So yeah, I mean, yeah. just give us the chapters. But like, So I will, but I realized maybe I should have first said, if you start at the very end of Matthew, you see this is the whole point. What's the Great Commission? It's not just 
a missionary, you know, it's not just the text for missionaries to preach when they're home on furlough. I mean, what's the actual con, which is good. It's fine. They can do that. Um, but what's the content of the actual great commission in Matthew 28? It's that we teach, we make disciples by teaching all that, that uh, he has commanded. Right. And so if you sort of read Matthew backwards about, okay, so then what are you supposed to, what, what are you supposed to teach? Well, it's the life of Jesus overall, his death on the cross, his resurrection, oh, for sure. But Matthew actually says, he, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wait, he got you. <laughs> We're going to pause it there. Yeah. Hold, hold my latte. <laughs> hold my latte. is exactly, So Jesus says, hold, Matthew says, hold my latte. I'm going to show you uh, exactly at least five major topics to teach. Yeah. And Don't again, worry, guys. I got all your cultural references handled yeah, thank today. You. Appreciate yeah. that. Thanks. Appreciate it. Um, and those, I think, if I summed up those five teachings that he gives, the first is the Sermon on the Mount, which right. is primarily about the necessity of inward righteousness, not just outward, that we're whole people because we start paying attention to that God sees and cares about our hearts, not just our external behavior. I think that's the way to sum up the sermon. Um, chapter 10 is about what it means to be a witness in the world and that that witnessing the world is going to involve a lot of rejection and persecution and a lot of blessings, but that God will provide and go before you. Uh, I think chapter 13 is about um, the mysterious way that the kingdom of heaven is at work in the world. It's It doesn't look like it's going to be very successful, but it ends up being – it's a mustard seed that ends up being a, a huge tree. Um, and it doesn't look like it's very valuable, but it's like a treasure that's hidden in a field that ends up – if you discover it, you'll sell everything you have to get it, mm -hmm. right? So there's a mystery to it. I think chapter 18 uh, is about life together. It's the – we often call it the ecclesiological discourse, but it's the – it's how do you get along with each other uh, in – once you've been formed into this new people of God. And there's kind of two main points. One is the, the vulnerable people and the little ones are just as valuable as the power brokers. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is – that we've got to live in relationships of love with one another. Mm -hmm. And so it ends with the one of the longest parables in Matthew, the unforgiving servant. You remember mm -hmm. where the, the king forgives somebody and then that person's unwilling to forgive somebody else and the result is destruction. So it's a very powerful teaching about loving one another is essential to being a Christian. And then the last discourse is about judgment both now and in the future. Uh, chapter 23 is about... Um, how, the necessity, again, of being an inwardly righteous person, not just an outwardly righteous person. The same theme back from the Sermon on the Mount comes up again with the Pharisees. And then 24 and 25 are famously the the future, the really confusing stuff about when Jesus is going to return and what that's going to look like and all that. But the point of that, as I was saying to your students yesterday, is not to figure out, you don't have, the point is not to have a newspaper open in Matthew 24 and 25 and figure out, you know, who the Antichrist is exactly. The point is that living in light of a future that we don't understand and don't know, but we know it's going to be real because God's in control, calls us to be faithful now. Mm -hmm. So the point of future teaching is to transform our living now to be faithful and hope toward God. So those are at least the five topics Matthew offers. I'm sure he says he would say some other things too. And we are appropriately can look in other places, of the Bible, you know, prayer. But, but what a great kind of, of structure, or maybe the five pillars that are there in yeah, Matthew to yeah. kind of hold on to, we can understand here's the, here's the way he's put his house together. Yeah, so we yeah. can understand where the furniture is and yep. what it means to be a disciple. I think it's Dallas Willard. Jen, you might remember better than me. 
who says, because you kind of set this up with how does he end, go and teach. Mm -hmm. And I think it's Dallas Willard who says the great commission without the great commandment is the great omission. Mm -hmm. That's great. Which is kind of this idea of of infusing the great commission with a real life of discipleship. Mm -hmm. Jen, you've said before we should focus on discipleship and let converts happen. That's Willard. Is that Willard? Yeah, that's me ripping off Dallas Instead of letting converts, going for converts and wondering if discipleship is Mm going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so I think Mm -hmm. maybe Matthew's playing on some of that there. It's like what it means to be a partner with God in the great commission mission isn't just to see conversions happen, but to see whole people, yeah. people who are considering the Sermon on the Mount or these other discourses and infusing them into their whole lives. Jesus has come to bring life mm-hmm. and life abundantly. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't just mean a future disembodied existence in mm-hmm. heaven. That means he has come to bring his life yeah. mm-hmm. now and in the future. And that life ends up looking like salvation, right? But salvation is is one metaphor, a very important metaphor, but it's not the only one the Bible talks about. Another is life, mm-hmm. finding life mm-hmm. or entering the kingdom, which is a picture of entering into a community mm-hmm. that is a certain place in which we live and have our being in a certain way. So I think that's a great way to get at what Matthew's about. One of the other things I want you to maybe chat about for a minute, I don't know if, if we have some other topics, but something I always love hearing you encourage our students in is, is what it looks like to take Jesus's yoke, mm. right? Because sometimes we can think of discipleship as like, Bearing, and it's kind of what you were just alluding to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before you do that, I'm gonna just. I heard a funny story yesterday. Did Jeff tell you this? Yes. Yeah. Was this, is this the yoke thing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't you tell it? It was actually really sweet. Yes. It's, it's, Y-O-L-K. Uh, yeah. One of the guys, one of the guys uh, in his cohort mm-hmm. said, "Man, for years I did not understand that because I thought it meant egg yolk." And he like he just said it like. I just need to tell you guys that I have this total misunderstanding. And, but that's I did, what I I did clarify like, that. But I you need a room yeah. where you, you can say yeah, those yeah, things. Right. And, right. That's, and the thing that I thought was awesome about that Take is because Yolka you've phone. kind of created an environment where yeah. you could. Like to have a safe teacher, a safe cohort, mm-hmm. to start from anywhere mm-hmm. and say like, I'm here. One of the things we talk about regularly in our environments is sometimes Christian education, you can, and I, this is true in seminaries, is the desire to compete and, com- and perform mm-hmm. is greater than the desire to learn. Yep. And that actually gets in the way yep. of learning. And you guys mm-hmm. are doing a good job on that, I think. And here, so we're right? showing, yeah. like, the reason we're here, like, if you have a question, ask it. Ask it. If you don't know, if you don't understand what we're saying, tell us. Like, the goal isn't to perform for the people in your cohort, but to say, hey, I don't understand that. Or to say, mm-hmm. oh, man. I thought he was talking about a yoke. You know, I love yeah. that. It's a great metaphor. Take my yoke. I don't know what that would mean, but I love I it. I don't know. Anyway, talk what was about, that, what were we talking well, about? I, I just about what you said. It actually, oh, okay, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, like because you give that as like a, a picture for the entirety yeah, of the Christian yeah, life of an yeah. invitation to 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 take on Jesus's life. Yeah. So we're talking about Matthew eleven yeah. twenty five to thirty, mm-hmm. which, as I continue to study Matthew, has just become more sweet to me. It's it's actually my favorite passage of the Bible, and it's also just more— I was going to ask you that. It, it, it really yeah. is. What's yours? Oh, in the whole Bible? Yeah. I don't know. Let me think about okay, it while you ponder talk. That. Okay. They're all red letters, so, guys. Right. Mm. Thanks, JT. Thank you. Um, the, but it's not only become very personally sweet to me, but it's also, as I continue to say, Matthew, I think it's really important to Matthew's whole project, his mm-hmm. whole goal. And it's first talking about— that God has revealed himself to not to the learned and the wise, but to the babes, to the ones who have faith like a child. And secondly, then of course, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mm -hmm. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my burden is light and gentle. You'll find rest for your soul. So what I was talking about yesterday, what I'd say is that, 
you know, when we think of a yoke, we think of it as either an egg yoke or we think of it as <laughs> a, a burden. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense in which it is, mm-hmm. right? I mean, to have a yoke is to have some more burden than not. But the whole point is that Jesus is saying, take, if you want to find rest, the way to find rest to your soul, shalom, peace, flourishing, true happiness, um, the way to find that is actually not by just doing whatever you want. That would be one extreme. You know, you think freedom is found and well, I'm not, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm just going to pursue my own pleasure. He's saying that's not the way, nor is it the way to try to earn your way to God by doing all these, you know, detailed habits like the, uh, like the Pharisees are doing or to burning people down. Instead, there is a, the way to freedom is a yoke that is his yoke, which is light and easy. And it's basically uh, a turning to him and starting to pay attention, as the Sermon on the Mount says, to your inner person, recognizing and be honest about your mm-hmm. brokenness and your need, and then learning his ways, which are not – he's not going to shame us. He's not going to embarrass us. He's not going to condemn us. He says, I know you don't know the way to life, so take mm-hmm. this yoke upon you like an oxen that needs to be guided down a field mm-hmm. and learn my ways. And when you do, you'll find rest. Mm-hmm. That's the way. So I, th- I just think that's such a beautiful image. I've actually wanted to title a book, The Yoke of Jesus, but my agent said, you're not going to sell a book called The Yoke of you Jesus. You would if it was The Yoke yeah, of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few of those New Testament cookbooks out there. Yeah. <laughs> I could corner the market. You can, yeah. um, ve- especially Some Old Testament ones. Too. Vegetarian, oh, vegetarian New Testament yeah. cookbooks. Oh, yeah. Ezekiel, egg, egg yeah. 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 Right. Ezekiel bread and there's got to be some kind of parallel. Oh, for sure. Okay. Multiplying for sure. bread. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff we could do. Yes. Fishes and loves. Well, Dr. Pennington, it's been a joy to have you on the show. Love you. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Did thank I just you. say love you? I did. did. You did. And I received a blessing, and we love you. We all love each other. Um, and uh, listen, if you haven't already, go to Amazon.com, search Dr. Pennington's name, Jonathan Pennington, and then buy everything there. Um, they're, they're incredible books. Reading the Gospels Wisely is a fantastic book if you're looking to study the Gospel seriously. Yeah, we use it in our seminary track here. It's exceptional. And Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing is incredibly helpful if you're going to do a deep dive on the Sermon on the Mount. And there's other stuff as well. New stuff on the way. Yep. New stuff on the way. Just real quick. Just real quick. What's, yeah. the, ne- what's the next one coming out? Jesus, the great philosopher, just rediscovering the way to a whole meaningful and flourishing life will be out um, in later in 2020, depending on when you're listening to this. And uh, uh, yeah, it's kind of exploring some of these ideas we were just talking about. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we're grateful to have you on. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. If you didn't catch the first episode that we did with Dr. Pennington a year or so ago on the Sermon on the Mount, you should definitely go back and listen to that episode. See you next time. Grace and peace.